Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. I'd invite you to find your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we look into the Scripture as a, a regular part of our worship time, a regular part of our uh, study time together, a reading together, because the Word of God is God's Word to us. We don't believe that the Scriptures are suggestions or good ideas or good methods of living. We believe that God has communicated Himself to us, revealed Himself, and calls each of us as believers to be His servants and to reflect His truth. And so this is certainly a precious time, an important time for us as we look into God's Word together. And this morning I've entitled the message, The Beauty of Faith and Submission. So we are talking about the continued topic of submission. And in this topic today we're talking about marriage. And uh, I know that at times the topic of submission, especially wives to husbands, is a hot-button issue in our culture. But as I said, we do come to the Scriptures believing that what God is telling us, what He has revealed to us about His will, His purpose for us is life-giving. It is the best for us, and we will find the greatest joy in serving God ultimately in all the contexts of our lives. And so as we come to this topic, um, we are going to uh, kind of put it in the framework of the previous few verses, the last couple of weeks. Since verse 11, we saw that Peter was writing to the churches and in the area of present-day Turkey, they were Gentile churches predominantly. They were beginning to face uh, troubles and trials of various kinds because they are of, of their faith in Christ and because of their commitment to the gospel and to the church. And some of them were being discouraged and wondering if uh, they were on the right road. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them, to strengthen them, to give them confidence, to stand in the midst of the, of the cultural turmoil. And as we look around at our world, and as we hear about what's even happening in other cultures, in other countries, we know that the turmoil is a part of this broken world. That there are evil and wicked purposes of the enemy who seeks to destroy our lives and in many ways all of us have walked in those ways of sinfulness and brokenness and rebellion to God. But when Christ comes into our life, when we believe in Jesus, when we trust him, everything changes. There is purpose, there is direction, there is a revelation from God telling us and calling us to a life filled with purpose, a life built on the promises of the kingdom of Christ, a life built on righteousness and truth and purity as defined by God. And all of those things are precious and beautiful and glorious because they are part of God's design for us. 
to enter into the fullness of life. And so it is beautiful. It's beautiful faith. And so as we talk about submission, and we have been looking at this topic, and started in verse 11 and 12, Peter encourages us not to follow fleshly desires or sinful desires that wage war against our souls, who we are as people, but to live good lives, to do good things so that the people around us could see the display of the goodness of God's kingdom and the glory of Christ in our midst. And then he outlines three areas in which that should be happening. And Next week, we'll see a little farther that there's a general area which that should be happening in all our lives. But there are three specific areas that Peter outlines, and that is submitting ourselves to the Lord and to the government, to those in ruling authority over us. And that doesn't mean that we believe or agree with everything that they do. But it does mean that we, as representatives of Christ, Treat them with honor and respect and hope and love, as the gospel would call forth from us to do. And therefore, all of our behaviors, all our actions should be run through that grid. Then we saw in verse 18, that in chapter 2, that slaves were to, in reverent fear of God, submit to their masters. And we talked about slaves and masters and how... In large part, we don't have slaves and masters in our culture, and and it wasn't exactly the same kind of slaves and masters as in early American history, but there were slaves and masters, and it's similar to employer and employee is the closest kind of connection we have. We have great freedoms as employees. We can quit, we can walk away. But in the same way, in our jobs, in our vocations, in the relationships that we have with our employers or employees as an employer, we are to magnify the truth of Christ and his kingdom in those contexts. And so Peter is encouraging the people in the first century to live in the culture that is broken around them in a way that displays the grace and goodness of God. And sometimes, as he says to the slave and the master, to the slave, even if you are mistreated, maintain that respect, maintain that honor. For God sees it and will reward it. And the prime example, the kind of the centric, the, the force of the whole passage is built on Christ suffering for us in verses 21 through 25 in chapter 2. Because he did not open his mouth and he took the unjust beating and punishment and went to the cross for the greater call of the gospel so that salvation could be had by all people who would trust in him. And salvation does flow to all who will trust in him. So the government, slaves and masters, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, talks about marriage. And in marriage, we're talking mainly to the wives. So there's seven verses and six verses talks to the wives. Now, I will say that if you go to Ephesians and you read the passage on marriage and the roles between the husband and wife, 
There's a lot more verses to the men than there are to the women. So this is not uh, unfair here. (laughs) And it's not the case that it's just that, you know, the women were doing a bad job. They need a lot more instruction and then the men only get one verse. It's not that case either. It probably is the case that men had more power, more dominance, more influence in the culture. And if they trusted in Christ, they made themselves a part of the church. The wives came along. And that the flip side is that there were women who trusted in Christ and were part of the church, but their husbands were not believers. And Peter is saying, in the case of marriage, in the case of employer and employee relationship, in the case of our relationship with the government. Be representatives of Christ and submit to God first. He is the one that we trust. He's the one we believe in. He's the one we love. He's the one we want to honor. And that honor and that trust and that love must impact. It must flow out in our every relationship. You know what else I love about this passage? Is that he is talking to everyone in the church. It hits everyone. Your relationship to the government, your relationship as an employer, an employee, your relationship in a marriage. And I would say as we look farther down in this passage next week, you'll see your relationship to one another. Every person in the church who has been touched by the grace of Christ is called to live out the gospel, to demonstrate to show forth by our love, our transformed heart, our gracious attitude, our forgiveness, our compassion, our service, our devotion to God in prayer, our longing to know His Word, His truth, our time together as believers in the church, all of that, all will grow and flourish because there are a bunch of people who are a part of the church and part of the work of God that have been transformed and changed By the love of God and the grace of God. And because that's happened, we are different people. And it's not just the preachers, it's not just the elders, it's not just the staff and the people that work in the Sunday schools and everything. It's unfortunate in some ways that we as Christians have built church in the way that we've built it because we come and we listen. And it gives the impression that I'm here communicating things about God and we're here as spectators and if we like it, hey, he was a five or four today, you know, out of ten. No, uh, it's not that. It's we are a community together. And when God gives his word to his suffering church in the first century, that word is communicated, captured, written down, and given to us as a community of believers in our suffering world. And that every single one of us as believers in Christ are to be representatives, to love the truth that we know is real, that has changed our lives, that has given us hope, and we are to live in such a way in our relationship with God and with one another and with the world that demonstrates that this is what life is about. There is no hope without Jesus, the Savior. There is no hope without the coming of His kingdom and what He is up to in our lives now, here and now. And as we'll see, this plays out in the marriage relationship. 
So as we think about this, I'd like to tell you a little story about an old book written years ago by an ancient saint, written about 397, and he wrote a compelling autobiography. And you might know who it is. I'd love to ask you, but we're too big of a group. (laughs) And his name was St. Augustine, and he wrote the Confessions. And I'll never forget uh, when I was in seminary, I was in the history class, and uh, the history professor was talking about St. Augustine and how important his book, The Confessions, is, and it's one of the classics of Western literature. We had about 150 people. He said, raise your hand if you've uh, read The Confessions. We had about five people that raised their hands. And I wasn't one of those. And, uh, of course, I'm not that big of a reader. And, uh, and he said, and you call yourselves Christians. <laughs> that kind of stuck in my craw. Like, oh, wow, I better get out and read St. Augustine's Confessions. <laughs> I did read it. And it is a profound book, you know, written in 397 in in, in such a perceptive way. He teases out the motivations of the heart and the attitudes and their actions. And you'd think, man, he's so far back there, he can possibly know what we go through. But he does. And in that confession, that autobiography, there's this section of the narrative where he gives tribute to his mother Monica on the influence she had in bringing her husband who was an unbeliever Patricius to personal faith in Jesus Augustine described his mother this way she served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you speaking to him of you By her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. The part I love about that little phrase is, by which you made her beautiful. I believe that if we hear God's word, if we apply God's word to our lives and we obey him and, and allow his spirit to bring to life the, the spiritual qualities, the, earth, the, the bodily qualities of his life in us. We will be a display of beauty because of the grace of God. And Augustine recognizes this in his mother and also he gives credit to his mother for praying for him for years. He didn't come to faith until later in life. And he credits his praying mother who faithfully prayed for him every day. And so when we come to this relationship between husbands and wives, we must not think that this is just some kind of wooden manual, some kind of dictates from a Uh, hierarchical society but we must understand that this is God's word and direction to us giving us indication of how we can enter into life in a beautiful way that displays the glory of God we must remember chapter 2 verse 12 live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There is a sense in which Peter, all through the book, is weaving this uh, idea that God has transformed us. He has made us his people. Peter is most elaborate in his connection of us as Gentile believers into the unfolding plan of God through the Old Testament. The history of the Jewish people are, is our history. We are a part of this big people of God that God is developing for himself a unique and holy nation, a royal priesthood, a special possession of his. And because of that connection, we live in a new way. And we find greatest joy in life because God is the one who is the creator. He made life. He directs life. He knows what is best. And so we come to these words to hear what is best for us. And this whole passage is swallowed up in the idea of submission. Remember, verse 13, submit to your every human authority. In verse 18, servants, submit to your masters. And verse 3, I mean verse 1 of chapter 3, wives in the same way, submit yourselves. And this is about submission. Peter is saying to the people of God, to us, that one of the characteristics of our life in being beautiful with the grace of God, with the message of Christ, being beautiful is an attitude of submission, of understanding of our place in the authorities of the world and of life and the institutions, but recognizing that fundamentally we are submitted to God. And He is the one that directs us in every context, even very difficult context. Like when a master is abusing a slave. Like if you are being abused by a government. Like if you encounter a, a horrific uh, diagnosis of a cancer. In every situation of life, we must recognize that our greatest point of submission and trust is in God. And we trust Him. We believe in His hand to sovereignly guide our lives. And in every context, it will be seen that we are followers of God. And so that's what's being described here. So let's read verses 1 through 7, chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, that unfading beauty of a gentle, gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way be considerate of your wife with your wives uh, be considerate 
as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. As I see this passage and think about what Peter is shooting for, he's looking for a heart of submission. And I see this as the fruit or the beautiful display of a full-grown flower. It's the beauty of God's grace. And it comes to one who is submitting in the right way. And as we look at this passage, there are roots of submission that will cause that beauty to shine forth through a person. It's not just submission by doing a duty or an obligation or a responsibility. That will not display this beauty of submission. There needs to be the roots that bring forth the beauty, the heart of the submission that Peter is describing. And I see those roots in a couple of different places. First, in verse 5. Look at there. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. The big point here is it's not just about behavior. It's not just about obligation or responsibility. It is about finding their hope, their joy, their longing in who God is. They put their hope in God. And when you put your hope in God, you can live in a way that is submissive to your husband. This is the beauty that should be born out in our lives. Peter uses Sarah as an example because she submitted to Abraham. She knew that Abraham was called by God to leave the land of the Chaldeans, to go to a land that they did not know where it was or what it was like, but that they should go there and that they would become a great nation. And there was a promise of a descendant. And she trusted in God. She put her hope in God and went with Moses as a follower, as a partner in that process. And when you put your hope in God, you can see the fruit of submission to this relationship develop. So she clothed herself with trust in God. So she immersed herself in a relationship with God. This reminds me a little bit of the passage from Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31, uh, starting at verse 10, is an ode to a, a godly wife. There's one verse in there that really stands out that I think communicates a lot about this uh, relationship. And it is verse 25 and it says, She is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. Laughs without fear of the future. How can you laugh without fear of the future? Especially when there are so many unanswered questions about the society in which we live in and the temptations that are all around us and the troubles with our our kids and the, the school situation and the job situation. And how can you laugh at the future? She laughs because she has her hope in God. 
And because she trusts God, she knows that nothing happens without his design, his guidance, his hand of protection and promise. And she puts her roots deep into that hope in God. And she, therefore then, trusts in God. She knows the scriptures. She spends time in prayer. She walks with God. She knows God's presence in her heart and in her life. She finds that submission to God and therefore submission to her husband can happen because her hope is built in the right place. It's a deep root that bears fruit. The second root of submission is doing what is right fearlessly. This is similar to the Proverbs one. She laughs about the fear of the future. But in verse 6, it says, You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Here again, she stands in faith and in confidence in who God is. She has committed her way to the Lord and trust Him to guide her and sustain her. In our day, submission to a husband is proclaimed to be a sign of weakness and a lack of backbone. But the woman described here recognizes the design of God for marriage. That there is a deep relationship and it's a relationship of respect and trust and working together and following the lead. It's a complementary position, a compassionate, complementary relationship. And that the wife submits to her husband. But it doesn't mean she submits in everything and in every way. Because as Peter calls her to submit, there's a recognition that her husband could not, might not be a believer. That he heard the word, as it says in verse 1, if any of them do not believe the word, so they must have heard the word. If they've heard the word and do not believe the word, then they are to be won over by her behavior. That's not submission to disobedience to Christ. Christ is her ultimate Lord. Christ is who she submitted to in this relationship. But in her submission to Christ, she's going to submit to her husband to be a demonstration of what is right and to be fearless in it. She is a Christian first of all. And if he is not, she is not following him into unbelief. The very point of the verse is to win him over to Christ. The third root of submission is proper attention to adornment. And this is verse 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of jewelry and fine clothes. Now, Peter is not saying that you can't wear hairstyles and you can't wear nice clothes and you can't wear jewelry. But don't let that be the thing that defines you. Don't put all your emphasis or even your major emphasis into that. Because there is a sense in which taking care of yourself and representing yourself in a way that is pleasing and right and good is pleasing and right and good for, for God and what He is doing in our lives. 
But the world wants to tell us that everything about who we are and what's important to us and what we should invest in is all about our a perception that people think that we look good. They take notice of us, that they're, they're envious of who we are and what we can accomplish. And Peter is saying, don't put your emphasis there. Put your emphasis in those qualities of grace and character and love that are most important to God and will last throughout eternity. These are the things that are most important. So adorn yourself in those things that are ultimately valuable. We know for sure that external perception Our wealth and our possessions will fade away. They will pass on to the next generation. They will not last forever. And this contrast is clearly stated in a pithy statement in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. And these Proverbs are to be kind of pictures, images. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Peter is pointing to the importance of the inner character of the person as the priority. And like Monica, who was impactful to her husband by showing the grace of God in her submission and relationship and care for her husband, so too, women who are married to unbelievers are to demonstrate that in their lives. And for us, women who are here, you are to demonstrate in that, in that marriage relationship the beauty of God's grace and the profound nature of the relationship you share with your husband. Now, it's true that the reciprocal responsibility is not as long here for the husband. In verse 7, we still see another root of a great marriage a root of marriage is honor her as an heir in verse 7 husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives treat them with respect as the weaker partner I like that weaker partner not that they're weaker but that that means that the man's weak and she's weaker and I mainly they're just talking about physically the truth is is that we're all in need of God and His grace in our lives. So we are weaker together. But weaker in that the woman in the first century had no power, no authority. She could not divorce her husband unless there was real, tragic brokenness in the marriage. But the husband could up and divorce his wife for hardly any reason at all. The woman in the first century couldn't inherit any inheritance. And so she was at the mercy of the husband. They were definitely in a weak position. Not just physically. And so Peter is saying, in a marriage relationship, husbands, consider your wife. And this is really profound. It is probably unique to anything of the first century because Peter is calling for the husband to regard the wife as a co-heir of the kingdom of Christ. 
And because she is a co-heir of the kingdom of Christ and you have received the grace of Christ yourself of no merit of your own and your wife receives the grace of Christ herself of no merit of her own, how dare you treat her without honor and respect? Because she is a joint heir with you of the kingdom of Christ. And in a day, in a time, in an era when Women didn't inherit anything. This elevated the union of marriage beyond anything of the first century. And we, in many ways, bear the fruit of this kind of gospel recognition of a marriage relationship. But also notice at the end of the verse, recognize her weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of Christ, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter uh, Peter is certainly saying here that if you fail to honor your wife, it's much like if you fail to forgive someone, your Father in heaven will will fail to forgive you. If you fail to honor your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Your relationship with God, your communion with God is dependent and built upon your understanding of God's grace in the life of your wife and the relationship that you should share with her. In conclusion, as we think about this passage, there are a couple things we should do to apply. First, to those who are married, the question is, Is this relationship of love and respect and honor a good characterization of your marriage? This is one of the most powerful means of communicating the grace of the gospel in the marriage relationship. Marriages should be strongest. There should be a a, a, a picture of beauty and love in Christian marriages that outstrips anything that we would see in the world. And the question is, are we demonstrating this kind of relationship? Treating one another as a display of the beauty of Christ. Second, this passage has something to say to anyone here who's thinking about marriage or would long to be married or plan to be married. Peter says, be careful. No. That marriage is a union where you give full honor and respect and love to your spouse. And if you can't make that kind of commitment, then don't get married. Because that's the kind of commitment the marriage relationship should have. Third, if you are married to someone who is an unbeliever, Take courage because Peter knows that situation. Peter gives instruction to that situation. I think of my sister-in-law who was married to an unbeliever. And she lived as a Christian, went to church by herself for some 10, 15 years. But after a while, he started to get in relationships with other Christians and he was open to the gospel. Now he's on fire for the Lord. It's, it's a great thing. Peter understands the difficulties and the challenges of those situations. 
doing, going to church and seeking to follow Christ by yourself, almost like a single in a marriage or even worse with someone who's not engaged and really somewhat fights against it. In that relationship, give yourself as a representative of the gospel. Show honor and love and respect. Peter encourages you. There is hope that the gospel can break through. Fourth, there is something here said to singles who may always be single. It might not be evident might not be seen clearly in this text, but we should know that the emphasis of submission throughout speaks to each and every one of us to be submitted to Christ in whatever situation we're in. And if you are single, you know that there are hardships and difficulties in that situation. But you have one privilege that a married couple doesn't have. As Paul, you remember Paul talking about the benefits of being single? He said, if you are married, you have the hindrances of your responsibility to God, your submission to God flowing through to your spouse. Your submission to God is governed by also your responses to your spouse. And that's part and parcel to your relationship with God. Paul said it is a benefit that I am not married. Because my heart's desire is to be pleasing to the Lord. To be in submission, which is what this text is all about. And so if you're in that place, whether it's for a long time, for a short time, or you're going to be in that place, don't miss the opportunity to live as submitted unto the Lord. Because that's what this text, and that's what the Bible is about, that's what Peter is about as he's talking to Christians in their personal life situations. The big question for all of us is, is our life given over completely to Jesus in submission to him? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, we make it our life goal to please him in every way. So husbands, Wives, single person, who are you seeking to please? Christ or yourself? Your marriage may depend on this question. But your life will depend on this question. It is really that important. Let's pray. Lord, you are gracious to us and good to us because you don't leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in our blindness, but you communicate to us. You speak to us by your word. You instruct us. And your words are not just suggestions, Lord. They are paths to life. And Lord, we pray that as we hear your word, as we know your will and your purpose for us as we seek after you and your spirit works in us we pray that we will be brought into a life of submission to Jesus that is beautiful that displays the glory of who he is and the wonder of his grace Lord help us to be mindful of every situation we live in 
that it is an opportunity to give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.